Hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. Steve. How's everything out there in Orlando? It's what every white boy in the suburbs wants. <laughs> Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. <laughs> Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today, a special new format show. A lot of great albums, you know, are celebrating anniversaries lately, and today, we begin our celebration of the class of 1983. Hey, you in my class? I am today. With me, as always, he likes to think of himself as Mike Damone, but really, he's Mr. Han. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Brad in L.A. Yeah, that's probably more accurate than I care to admit. (laughs) Hey, and uh, joining us again today, uh, and we will do a proper introduction this time, it's just Drew. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. I'm really excited. So it says here in my notes that you're a TV repairman. Does your dad have an awesome set of tools? Awesome set of tools. <laughs> we can fix it. <laughs> Tell everyone what, what it is you actually do for a living. I'm actually an editor. I edit movie trailers, behind-the-scenes featurettes for DVDs, and for the web, and everything like that. Any projects people would uh, recognize? Uh, I'm working on Hangover 3 right now. Really? Yeah. But uh, in the past, I've worked on um, there was Safe House starring Ryan Reynolds. Um, I just did a bunch of stuff for Hitchcock, the Helen Mirren, Anthony Hopkins movie. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Are you ever working on a DVD where you just kind of say, I really, really am uninspired by this movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's happened a few times. Um, and I don't know how much trouble I'd get in on saying a couple of them, but uh, let me go back a little ways. Uh, you know, I did a lot of um, behind-the-scenes stuff for a Tyler Perry film. I'm not going to say which one, but yeah, those are the kind where you're just like, all right, I, I can just get through this. Yeah. And you, in the back of your mind, you're sort of thinking, nobody's buying this DVD, right? You're hoping nobody buys this DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be like the notorious DVD snob. I would never buy a DVD unless it had a bunch of special features. Well, we do our best. I mean, I, I did a, a documentary for the Friends 10-year DVD release and the one that they just did on Blu-ray. And that was a lot of fun, even though none of the Friends would talk to us. Uh, we got great stuff from the creators of the show and the head writer, and, and that was a lot of fun. So those are the kind of things I'm glad to hear that you actually will, will watch them because we do put a lot of effort into them. But, yeah, there's, there's a few out there that you're just kind of like, I'm going to not mention my name on this one. It's hard, especially, too, with a, with some of the 80s movies, too. I mean, they're so old. They get remade now for an anniversary, and, and you see that sometimes it's probably hard to drag, you know, John Cusack into the studio to do an audio commentary for, you know, say anything. Well, I believe the Better Off Dead DVD, the special features are uh, you can select chapters. <laughs> yeah. We just watched Better Off Dead. No, we just watched Say Anything. And um, I decided, hey, let's see what's on the bonus features. And it's like, oh, you can pick a different language. You know, that's that's really it. I really want to see that in Farsi sometime. Yeah. And the problem <laughs> is, is a lot of the celebrities, they don't want to be – I mean, it's, it's like a role they did 25 years ago. And yeah. unless it's an iconic role for them, they really don't care to be involved with it They don't again. want to go back. Yeah. Exactly. It seems like the new stuff where you catch them while it's hot and it's still fresh or it's part of their contractual obligations up front just to do it. Uh, yeah, uh, probably hard to get people to draw people back into it now. Yeah, so, and and a lot of the places now they they simply will have someone on set that's their whole job is to get all this information and all these interviews while the movie is being done. So in between takes, they'll interview people and and have that ready for the DVD. That makes sense. Now I have to ask these questions of all uh, co-hosts. So, what year did you graduate from high school? 
I graduated 1986. Okay, so you're a year younger than Brad and I. Yep. Yep. Where were you living at the time? Out here in uh, in Southern California, in Oak Park, California. And the very first concert you ever went to was? Air Supply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. And if, yeah. you listen to, if you listen to Drew's podcast, you can hear uh, the full story. Oh, that's right. You have yeah. a podcast. Tell us about your podcast. Well, you guys inspired me because I hosted the one podcast before with you guys, and a friend of mine listened to it and said, we should do a podcast. So I said, okay. And he's a research marketer. And since I'm on the creative side, we have this kind of yin-yang thing going. And so we started 2D Entertainment Podcast because it's Drew and Dan. And our very first podcast was, what was our first concert experience? His was the Buzzcocks in 1979, and mine, like I said, was Air Supply in 1981. I know just how to whisper, and so that would have been, I'm trying to think what tour that would have been. It would have definitely been on the wane at that point, right? Yeah, well, they were actually they were massive. Because well, yeah, they but they, they were every, they would have already peaked. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was uh, I can't remember the album. It was Every Woman in the World to Me. I remember it was one they sang there, and I went because a girl asked me to go, and I was in like sixth grade, and her mother drove us and everything. But yeah, my second concert was the US Festival, so I made up for it. Oh great, and we'll talk about the US Festival here in a minute. And I got to say mm-hmm. too that I have seen Air Supply in concert within the last five years. And I thought they were amazing. So I have no, I have no uh, embarrassment whatsoever saying that. Well, grown, grown man do. loves air supply. <laughs> <laughs> that makes one of us. Okay. <laughs> okay. Without further ado, let's dive in. Um, here's an interesting note. Today we be, we begin this new series. Uh, we have honored albums before from the '80s, and sometimes we uh, match them up with an anniversary date. And uh, uh, 1983 was a big year. Uh, a lot of great albums came out. We're going to honor just three of them today. Uh, And in one very interesting note, none of the albums that we're discussing today made Rolling Stone's list of the top 100 albums of the 1980s. Yeah, right. Pull this leg and it plays Jingle Bells. Does that mean mean we made bad choices or did uh, Rolling Stone was just looking for something else? Well, we've talked about Thriller before. We've talked about uh, Police Synchronicity. So those are two of the ones that were from 1983 that we've already discussed. So we're not going to we're not going to hit them again. You know, I think we've said all sure. we can say about those. So the year's 1983, and before we jump into it, let me ask each one of you, what kind of music were you listening to? Uh, Bradley, you take it first. So, 83, let's see, I'm, uh, is that sophomore? Sophomore in the first half of junior? So by that point, I'm listening to a lot of Devo, uh, a lot of Adamant, the new wave stuff is starting to kick in, so, you know, like uh, Flock Seagull's first album, and and then some of the some of the popular music at the time, but at the time I was living in Western Oklahoma, so anything that wasn't country, I was you know interested in. <laughs> I was not a fan of the country music, um, and not really a big fan of you know. I'm, you might flip my mic off for this one, but I was not a big fan of Journey. Whoa, what's what's that weird noise? All of a sudden, that went dead. I know, yeah. So no, it's, it's not for everybody. It just you know I was trying to not listen to what everybody else was listening to. Uh, but was there a lot of pressure in Oklahoma to like country music? I don't know that there was pressure to like it, but it was ubiquitous. So you didn't, I mean, you wouldn't get your ass kicked in high school if you walked down the halls with a Billy Idol shirt on. I don't think so. No, <laughs> okay. it didn't hurt that I was six foot tall. <laughs> okay, yeah. Drew, what were you listening to in 1983? Well, see, now that's just weird to me because <clears throat> in my high school country music was all the cool stuff and what everybody wanted to listen to. Hank Williams Jr. was on everybody's radio. So I don't, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested really? Brad. Yeah. I, I find it hard to believe. That's I know. Well, all the senior, the seniors really loved country music. And so we would, you know, we'd have parties and everybody would sit around and sing Hank Williams Jr. songs. I mean, I listened to a lot of other stuff too. I was listening to a lot of the same stuff that Brad was talking about. Billy Idol, Duran Duran, um, <clears throat> You know, a lot of the stuff that this radio station out here called K-Rock would play. Um, but the high school, you know, that's what everyone listened to was Hank Williams Jr. That's that weird. That is so weird. Yeah, there's just another word for it. <laughs> um, I have to say that a lot of my musical taste – now, 1983, I mean, I, I know I get a bad rap for the journey. But by 1983, I'd kind of given them up as being sort of uncool. And I had moved basically on to any band – 
that I saw on MTV playing at the Us Festival. For some yeah. reason, when I saw that on television, that really influenced uh, my view. It gave me a, a chance to see a lot of bands I'd never seen before, including Oingo Boingo, uh, which I know we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yep. I was at that concert. Uh, I was there for the, I think that was, it was the first or second day. It was the new wave, what they called it. And it was great. I mean, we had men at work, we had the divinals, we had Oingo Boingo in excess and the clash headlined. It was a fantastic concert. What, what a day. What a lineup that is. Yeah. Sadly, sad to say all those bands today could probably squeeze up to one bill and still not fill a 2000 seat arena. Oh, I don't know. You, you get think, the clash there? Yeah, the clash? Well, I know. I mean, I'm I'm over exaggerating, I guess. But the point being that, you know, it's it's sad in a way that cuz you know, we're we're in this period of time now where you see these giant bill concerts and uh, you know, you just you'll squeeze nine bands into a bill yeah. and you won't have 600,000 people show up. You'll have 2,000 people show up. Yeah. But I guess that's you know, but it's um, 2,000 really hardcore lovers of that music, so. <laughs> Right. Not not yeah. six hundred thousand eggheads, you know. Yeah, you are kind of crazy, is what you're hacking saying. each other to death. So yeah, cool. So my, I mean, so I mean, so my eighty three was full of uh, Oingo Boingo, which I discovered that year. Uh, Duran Duran, which I think had just come out with Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Billy Idol was was pretty hot then, and um, and so it was to me. It was a great year. Like, like last podcast, we talked about what a, what a great year nineteen eighty two was for pop culture. To me, nineteen eighty three was even better. So without further ado, let's let's dive into it. Um, I'm going to give the honors to Bradley to defend. Uh, what album are you going to um, introduce today? Um, so today I'm going to talk about the Huey Lewis and the News masterpiece, Sports. So, you know, like I said, this is a masterpiece. This is pop rock, you know, bar band rock and roll at its absolute finest. Um, I don't think that it gets any better than this in the bar band genre. So this came out in September of 1983. Kind of had a slow start, but eventually built up to, uh, in 1984, it would hit number one on the charts. Um, it was uh, seven seven times platinum certified in the United States. So uh, this one had some legs. It did pretty well. It was self-produced by the band, and they recorded it earlier in 1983. But there was some, you know, imagine that there was a dispute with their record label, <laughs> and so they held on to the master tapes while things were worked out. And then once they got worked out, they dropped the album. So the album had four, well, five singles, four top ten singles, no number ones. Um, Heart and Soul is the first track or first single. Uh, Actually, I have the Heart of Rock and Roll was the first single. Heart of single. Heart of Rock and Roll is the first track on the album, but the first oh, okay. single was Heart and Soul. Uh, I want a new drug. Heart of Rock and Roll is the third single. Uh, if this is it, it was the fourth one, and then I think Walking on a Thin Line was the last one. That did not chart in the top ten, but it did that's chart. a shame. That's probably my favorite of the four. The, my least favorite of those would be the harder rock and roll. Oh just, yeah, yeah. The 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 town name call out song is just uh come on. Detroit. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. We had, we got to throw that one in. Oh wait, we forgot Michigan. Oh god, I I, I want to say that I want a new drug might have been might have been the first Huey Lewis video that I kind of really that really stuck with me. Obviously, yeah, stuck with I a lot of people. Heart and soul. I remember Heart and Soul because there was a cute girl in it. Oh, they didn't have those in Oklahoma. Only two things come out of Oklahoma, steers and queer. Which one are you, boy? <laughs> well, you had to go there, didn't you, Spears? Like, I've never heard that one before. Well, that's, I mean, what was that? Uh, if you, uh, that's from uh, Officer and Gentleman, right? Yeah. Yep. God, that's a movie that we've never talked about. Probably because it didn't impact our lives. Because none of us probably wanted to be naval aviators when we were no, in the 80s. Well, not from that movie. You know, <laughs> Top Gun was the movie you wanted. You're like, yeah, that's yeah, the job. Now but... I want to be a naval aviator. Yeah. I'm too tall and I've got horrible eyesight. So strike, strike one, strike two. When, when Louis Gossett Jr. kicks you in the nuts, it doesn't make you want to be a naval aviator. That is true. <laughs> so uh, Huey Lewis's real name. Anybody? Anybody? No. Good question. It's Hugh Anthony Craig the Third. I cannot imagine why he did not go out as Hugh Anthony Craig the Third in the news. <laughs> I, I I I hate to jump in here now, but I really 
I, I don't like this album, and I don't really like Huey Lewis. <laughs> okay, Sean Daly. I know, I know. I just, I, I was thinking about it because you know, I, you had said what album you were going to choose, and I'm, I, I looked through my iTunes library. I don't have one Huey Lewis in the News song on there, and it's not that his music is bad. It's it's very catchy. It's got a lot of good hooks, but it doesn't make me want to go and and like, it, it doesn't make me want to go and do anything like. I, the music that I really enjoy and the music that I really listen to, I want it to be like the soundtrack of my day or my life. And there's nothing like Brad. I can't imagine you hop into your triumph and crank out. I want to do drug while you put the top down and cruise <laughs> through the desert. It's well, just not yeah, that kind of music. The, the truth is I, before I listened to this the other day, I hadn't listened to this in probably 20 years, but when I put it on, I'm like, this is well-crafted pop music. It is well-crafted pop music, but it doesn't, it doesn't it's do like anything. Oatmeal. I get it. It doesn't yeah. do anything for you. It's just oatmeal. It's a nice little breakfast fare, but it's well, nothing fancy. People buy a lot of oatmeal. <laughs> they do buy a lot of oatmeal. So, uh, yeah. That, so, Heart and Soul actually was one of the two songs that wasn't written by band members on the on the album. Uh, it was written by Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin. And Mike Chapman produced a couple of Blondie albums and the Knacks Get the Knack album. So, oh, wow. Got some chops there. Yeah, definitely. And the last track, Honky Tonk Blues, is Drew. Hank Williams Jr. No, this is Hank Williams. I'm sorry, Hank Hank Williams. Williams. That's Hank Williams. That was Hank Williams. Number one hit for Hank Williams in 1952. I mean, to me, Huey Lewis, to me, his moment was Back to the Future. When when he did those Mm -hmm. songs for Back to the Future and he appears, he has a little cameo. That's brilliant. I mean, I, I love it. I like those songs. They come on the radio now. I'll still listen to it. I, you know, I can't help but being a little bit tainted by the interview that we had with him. God, which must be like oh, six, yeah. six years ago. That's a long time ago, yeah. All right, and I'm not going to hold it against him because, I mean, it was an early morning interview. People who This is like an infamous Ducky and 80s story, but it was an early morning interview. He was in Tampa Bay to appear in a pro-am, and he was also going to do a concert while he was here. And um, we we had never spoken to him before. We got the chance to, to interview him, and we did. And I swear to God, it was like 9, 9.30 in the morning. He had just come in on a red eye of some sort. Oh, and he was not in, in a mood to be you know, toyed with. And Sean Daly, you know, the late Sean Daly, loved to toy with people. It's, it's like he knew this was not the right time to ask this question, and so he asked the question. All right, easy question. What's your favorite song that you've done? There's no such thing as a favorite. Come song. on, Trouble in Paradise. There, there isn't. It's a it's a lousy question, and you shouldn't ask <laughs> him. That. No, no. What, first of all, the other thing you shouldn't do. That's you not. Should, I, I know deep down because he... year to naming the top ten anything because <laughs> you're a critic, and if you're a critic, you should point out the difference in things. What are the top five paintings of all time? Where's uh, Where's Mona Lisa? Dogs Four Dogs three. playing poker is number one. What? Dogs playing poker. Yeah, all right. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> oh, I'm come saying, on, it's Huey. It's a lousy question. What's your favorite song? That's not true. Because top? even if you ask, um, even like sometimes you get parents saying like in the deep, dark recess of the brain, they have a favorite kid. <laughs> right? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I you know, I... I agree with you, Huey. It's a it's a rotten question. Oh, I would never ask you. Kissing Huey's ass. No, I'll, I'll kiss Huey's last ass all I want. But it's one of the lousy questions you hear yeah. over and over again, and 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 it's it's just not. I mean, I'm trying to help you here. Yeah. You know, well, let, well, let me, uh, really, uh, a great critic would never ask a question. Oh like wow! Yeah, it's right in there. It's right in there with how did you get the name the news? <laughs> And I was you know, I'm I'm crossing that off the list right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, who cares for Christ's sake? One of probably the top five most infamous moments in bad interviewing on stuff. Oh yeah, and the, the funny thing is, this winter when I was going through um, some of the back catalog looking for stuck and stuck in the '80s moments, the show before that, when you guys are planning it, he's defending Huey Lewis to the hilt. He's like, "I'm so looking forward to talking to him. You don't know what a big <laughs> fan I am." And it's just like foreshadowing. Yeah, it's crash, <laughs> crash and burn. You so know. the other thing about uh, the other thing I want to talk about uh, um, with I want a new drug is I want a new drug got even more airplay uh, the next year when it was featured as Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Okay, Drew, it's your turn. What album are you going to talk about from the 1983? I am going to talk about 1983's Oingo Boingo, Good for Your Soul.
Boingo Boingo is Good for Your Soul was released in July of 83. And while it never really charted any big songs, because they never, Boingo Boingo never really did, did chart big songs. Um, it had Who Do You Want to Be Today, Nothing Bad Ever Happens to Me, Good for Your Soul, No Spill Blood. It just, for me, it just had so many fantastic songs. Not everyone's a winner, but it had so many great songs that, that I loved because they gave me that feeling like it's okay to be a little bit of an outsider. I was a freshman in high school, actually, you know, graduated freshman, became a sophomore in, in 83. And I think everybody at that age, they, they feel a little bit like, how are they going to fit in? You want to, you want to be different, but you don't want to stand out like a sore thumb. And, and cause that's just dangerous in high school. Yeah, sure. And sure. This just gave me a chance to be able to say, you know, it's okay to be a little bit different. It's okay to be a little bit on the outside. And these guys were just, they were right there for me. And, and I, I've always loved this album. For people who don't know Oingo Boingo very well, I know we did a whole episode about Oingo Boingo, but that was probably about four years ago. Give us just a quick, quick synopsis of, of, of who was in it and where they came from. Okay. Oingo Boingo was a group that was started actually by Danny Elfman's older brother and they kind of messed around. They were actually on the gong show once. And then Danny Elfman kind of took over and solidified this group into an octet. And they were different because they had, not only did they have guitars and drums, the regular stuff, but they had a horn section. They often got into xylophones. They were a very unique, unusual band. They were based here in L.A. They had this um, concert every Halloween called Dia de los Muertos. And it had a lot of the Mexican flavor, the South American flavor of of Halloween in it and they just were very a very different unusual punk ska band and they were really big in California they were really big, and we I got to see them every Halloween, and then for a while I was friends with the uh, manager, and so we'd get to see them. I, I'd see them at least once, if not twice a year. Wow. Mm. Yeah, a, I did not hear – I hadn't heard of them, was not familiar with them at all until I moved to California, and I was talking with one of my fellow theater ushers at the Man Brea Plaza, and uh, she's like, oh, you like Devo? Huh. Listen to this, and he hands me a cassette of uh, Only a Lad, which I'll never forget <laughs> that drive home that night. I mean, my mind was blown. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, just instant fan from zero to 60. Yep. And it, this album was a little bit different in that Danny had done a lot of this falsetto singing, and he decided he didn't want to do much of that anymore, so they changed a little bit of their sound for this album. Huh. Huh. I didn't know that. I remember seeing him. To me, I saw him for the first time on the Us Festival, and I, they mm. came out and they were introduced as, I didn't know what their name was. They came <laughs> out and they said, you know, now on stage, they said, the California Death Clowns, Oingo Boingo. And I'm like, the what? The who? Yeah. <laughs> and then they came out and I think they sang um, uh, Nothing to Fear, which blew my mind. And I think if it weren't for the Us Festival, I would never have heard of these guys. Because on the East Coast, especially down here in Florida, n no way did these guys get radio play, ever. Ever. Not even with like weird science, uh, you know. See, but this, I'm tainted because by then I, I knew about them by then, and maybe when Weird oh, yeah. Science came through, I don't think even Weird Science got you know radio play. I mean, that track maybe, but yeah, certainly not even the band's favorite track. Probably one of their least favorite tracks. Yeah, they're not. They, I don't remember them playing that ever in concert. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and you see them also in what uh, Back to School? Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was it? Uh, oh, not No Spill Blood. Which there's one song from Good for Your Soul that appears in a couple movies in the 80s. Um, mm, I remember. Uh, Bachelor Party and Teen Wolf 2, I want to say, both have one. I don't know if it's No Spill Blood. Uh, or, it's Who Do You Want to Be. It's Who, who Do You Want, want to, be. to Be. Yeah. That was the biggest song off this album. Not my favorite song on this album, but it is oh, the biggest song. On but this so album. good live. I mean, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, I mean to me, Oingo Boingo. I mean, they're good on they're good on album. I've seen them twice. I saw them. Um, I didn't see them until the uh, what was the tour? That it would have been late '80s when when they really went soft. And I think they Boing, started. It was called Boingo. They had an album come out that was Boingo. Just B O Y. Not my, not my slave was on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that close, was a little little poppier. We close our eyes. I saw them on that tour, and I saw them a couple of years later on probably what was one of their last tours. And, and, and to me, the songs from Good For Your Soul are the ones that are the best in concert. Yeah, Good For Your Soul, although I think only a lad's really great. And, of course, you know, Dead Man's Party. Those are all great. I mean, that's the thing. They're such a great concert band. I, I was there at the final concert um, that they recorded, the Farewell Tour. I've seen and, that on I've seen it on DVD a million times. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's just so much fun because you're there with just all these people who know every lyric to every song, and and we all just sang along with Danny. And of course, you know he's gone on to his big movie career, so I don't think Oingo Boingo is ever coming back. Yeah, well, he's got he's got hearing problems, doesn't? Yeah, he? tonight is big assault. time, big time. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I seem like I remember seeing something in the press not so long ago about the possibility of an Oingo Boingo. Reunion, or at least somebody asking him that, and him saying, "Well, you know, I don't know, you know, hearing problems." Surely, there's something, there's some incentive out there that would get them back together. There's no hard feelings among the band members, is there? Not that I know of, and not that I've ever seen him say. Have you ever met any of the band members? I did meet the drummer Johnny Vatos. I I was working at Dodger Stadium, and he we, he would come, and he's he's kind of a kook. He's a big fan of pyramids. Like we had a long conversation about it he wears a brass pyramid on his head well i shouldn't say he does now I, this was back in 95 <laughs> and he wore this pyramid on his head and it wasn't like covered or anything it was just this like metal bars that he would wear on his head and he was telling me all this stuff about how the power of the pyramid and you put a razor he has pyramids in his house and you put a razor blade under a pyramid and that razor blade will never go dull and it was he's, well, yeah, he's it's under the pyramid you didn't use it for anything. i guess maybe that was the trick but I got him to sign one of my uh, my Boingo concert tour shirts, so that was pretty cool. But he was a really nice guy, just a little bit out there. Hey, with my uh, with my lot of time, I'm going to uh, celebrate an album that I know all of us have the lyrics tattooed on the back of our brains. Uh, the year 1983 to me means only one album, and that's the debut album by the Violent Femmes. The self-titled debut album by the Violent Femmes was released in April 1983 by the Milwaukee band that was discovered by... Anyone know who discovered the, the Violent Femmes? Steve Spears. The Pretenders? Pretenders, yeah. Oh, I was right? Yep, the Pretenders. The Pretenders oh. were in Milwaukee about to play a show, um, and outside the theater, the, the Femmes were just kind of like doing like a little gig, and they were noticed by the band... They were invited in to play an acoustic set before the show, and um, wow. that's, that's how they got their start. Wow, very cool. How do you like that? It was not a Taco Bell commercial that gave them their start. Imagine that. Oh, well, you know. To me, I swear, here's, here's the most important question I'm going to ask today. Did either of you ever, ever go to a frat or college party where they didn't play at least added up and or blister in the sun? Nope. Uh, Always played it. Always played it. Yeah. Sure. I, I don't have any re- I don't have any memories to the contrary. So uh, in the spirit of uh, in the spirit of conversation, I'll say no. That never happened. Yeah, for me it did because I was usually the one that would take over the the stereo, and I would always end up playing one of those songs. Oh, of if course. Not both. Yeah. yeah. Um, how many? Of the, I mean, of this song. I mean, there's so many great. Um, they, they didn't have a whole lot of albums, the Violent Femmes, but the ones they had at least they made the best of. This one has "Blister in the Sun." Obviously, everybody remembers that. "Kiss Off." Please do not go. Add it up, which everyone I, I kind of get a little sick of. Add it up, and then it, it turns a little, uh, uh, a little bit more. Uh, what's what's what I'm looking for? Strange, a little more strange, out there, unusual, whiny, uh, whiny. They're, by <laughs> definition, they're whiny. Side two, you have you don't have you have proved my love, uh, gone, daddy, gone, stuff like that. But um, this album has the unique distinction of having gone gold without ever being in the uh, top 200 albums on Billboard. Wow. Mm, wow. They finally turned, they finally cracked the top 200 in 1991, which was the same year that it went platinum. 
Wow. That's weird. Was there a catalyst to that or was it just longevity? Just longevity. And I think um, to the most part, you know, they're one of those weird bands. They they got together. They broke up. They got together. They broke up um, throughout the years. Current status. Anyone know? Nope. Together. Together. They're actually playing Coachella. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. So, um, but, you know, that'll last a couple of years. Lead singer Gordon Gano wrote most of the songs from this album while he was still in high school, which is probably why we all related to it so well. Yeah. He was, yeah. He was, explains a couple of the lyrics, too. <laughs> he was only 20 <laughs> years old in 1983 when this was released. He was often compared to Jonathan Richmond of The Modern Lovers. Anyone a big fan of Jonathan Richmond? No. You can't say Oh, it. come on. Pablo Picasso? <laughs> Some people try to pick up girls and get called I probably oh, was that Jonathan Richmond? Yes. From the Repo Man soundtrack? Yes. I've seen Jonathan yeah, Richmond. Out. Pablo John- Picasso was never called a... Yeah, Jonathan <laughs> Richmond, you see him playing. Uh, he plays in the, the movie There's Something About Mary. He's the singer that keeps popping up in every song. Oh, okay. I did not know that. I've seen Jonathan Richmond probably six times in concert. But Gordon Gano hated being compared to Jonathan Richmond. Just drove him apeshit for some reason. Huh. So, question for you both: Is there one song on this album? I know we've we heard we've heard all these songs a million times in in college. Is there one song that you don't like that's just irritating beyond all belief? I can't say there is. You know, I. I I, the four songs that you listed on this album, the, you know, "Blister in the Sun," "Kiss Off," "Added Up," and "Gone Daddy Gone," they're I, I'm not sick of any of those, and those are my, the, the main ones I listen to. Uh, absolutely, I, I wouldn't say that it's the most irritating, but "Blister in the Sun," I don't ever need to hear again. <laughs> I just, I just weary of it. And then there's some stuff, some of the deeper cuts. Like I said, I think he's a little gets a little whiny, and it's just like, okay, okay, I get it. You know, you got problems. That's cool. We all have problems. We all have problems. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, Blister in the Sun has just been overexposed. Give me give me five years without it, and then I can hear it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, uh, speaking of problems that we all had, um, and this brings up my, my Violent Femme story, um, 1986 it would have been. I was um, just finishing up my first year of college or whatever, and I was back in the only summer I ever came home from college for, and... I had a girlfriend in high school who lived right next door to my best friend's house. And literally their bedroom windows almost virtually looked in on each other. Oh, yeah. And so this I, is getting interesting. So, li- so literally, <laughs> it's not going to be nearly as interesting as you think. <laughs> <laughs> no police were involved in this. All right. So we were, we were at my friend's house, and I was lamenting the fact that, you know, how cool would it have been if, if my, girlf- my real-life girlfriend lived next to my real-life best friend and – but it didn't work out, and who knows why it didn't work out. But I started going on this little whiny rant, and my friend's like, you sound like Gordon Gano. It's like, it's like you just need a song to go with it. <laughs> and I was like, well, if Gordon Gano has a song about how to get a girl back, that would be useful information to me. And he starts playing to me Good Feeling, which I'd never heard. I'd never, I'd never really gotten that deep into the album, so he starts playing the last song on the album good feeling and it's this he has his guitar there and he's just kind of strumming through it and he's sort of singing the lyrics he used to be the in our band epic trash i mean he was qualified to do such mm-hmm. and i thought that's that captures my feelings that's how i feel and, and this was probably at the latter end of a case of uh bush beer which would have been the, <laughs> the poison of choice back then and i said well, how cool would it be if you could teach me this song and we can go next door, and I'll sing it to her outside her bedroom window. All you need is three chords and the truth, brother. <laughs> so the idea was, you know, the whole Cyrano de Bergerac, he's going to play the guitar off out of view while I sing the song to her. So we, we we finally master it. You know, we're liquored up big time at this point. And so we go over there. It's probably midnight, I guess. Start 
tapping on the window, tapping on the window, hoping the lights come on. They don't. Tapping on the window, tapping on the window. Finally, my friend's like, just start singing it. So he starts playing, and I start singing the song. And suddenly, the lights flash on. The curtains go screaming open. It's not the girl. (laughs) (laughs) It's her much older sister. Her much older sister. Oh, no. Erica's not here. Go the hell away. I'm calling the cops. And we're like, no, 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 no. We were like, we were sorry, just, sorry, sorry. We made the 20-yard dash back into my friend's house. And uh, that was the end of my uh, my most romantic uh, attempt, at, you know, at least at age 21. Is that why you don't sing in public, Steve? <laughs> I, sing, I sing in public to you in Las Vegas. I know. I was trying to trap you in a lie. <laughs> oh. Now, wait. What, what was the song? What would I sing? Uh, you sang uh, When in Rome's the Promise. <laughs> I have video. Wow. I know. It was a special moment we shared. I was going to post it online, but I couldn't figure out how. I know. I feel like I'm intruding. Anyway, so that, that was my, my Violent Femmes moment. And to this day, I still remember, I still remember like probably 99% of the lyrics. There's nothing like having someone threaten to call the police to have a memory burned into your brain. <laughs> and the lyrics. I'm impressed that, I mean, yeah, sure, you said there was a lot of alcohol involved, but even then, to be able to. To, to go up to the house and despite the obvious like alert from God, don't do it when no one answered the window tapping, <laughs> you still went ahead and did it. Takes a lot That's of impressive. Yeah. yeah. Takes yeah. a lot of courage. You know what else it takes a lot of courage? The Seggies. <laughs> the mystical refrain of reader mailbag. Hey, the reader mailbag's been a little light lately. Where's the uh, stories of angst? We did push this podcast through pretty quick. We didn't give people a lot of time after uh, that 14-week layoff. They don't need time. I know people are out there hurting. Share your hurt with us. <laughs> Share your story making a fool out yeah, of so we So we can laugh at you. Yeah, yeah. we can laugh. We'll, we'll, we'll just play you a song. Uh, this week's uh, email comes from Crash in Long Beach, and because Drew is the guest, he gets the honors of reading it. All right. Dear Stephen Brad, great podcast on 1982, the year I graduated from high school. If I had a hot tub time machine, I would definitely go back to that year to relive my senior year. Great memories and great times. Plus, the year I started playing drums in a band. Oh, if I knew then what I know now. Tell me about it. Anyways, it was great having Jen on as a guest host. I hope that I won't have to wait that long for the next podcast. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Steve, I can't believe you haven't seen Silverado. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. I also can't believe you don't like westerns. Given our mutual love of World War II movies, I thought you would also like Westerns, but I guess not. Well, even if you don't like them, I believe Silverado is a must-see. Brad forgot to mention that besides Kevin Klein, Kevin Costner, Danny Glover, John Cleese, and Scott Glenn, the movie also features Brian Dennehy, Rosanna Arquette, Jeff Goldblum, and Linda Hunt. Nice. Not to mention a small part by Amanda Weiss as a saloon girl. Ring any bells? Does it? Uh, no, I did. I I remember. I remembered this. Yeah, yeah. She played John Cusack's girlfriend Beth, who dumps him in Better Off Dead. Well, I've heard a few things, and um, well, I was wondering if you would mind if I took out Beth. Yeah. See, the difference is in Silverado, she leaves the guy <laughs> for someone who has a better horse. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and then it finishes up. Keep up the great work. Crash in Long Beach. Nice job. Now, I have to agree with him. I'm a huge fan of Silverado. And the thing I really liked about it is, you know, you'd see all the old Westerns and these guys would like shoot around the sides of buildings and they do all this stuff. These guys were like, screw it. A bullet will go through, you know, a bat wing door. And they would shoot a guy through the bat wing door. Um, They also, it was one of the great times when Kevin Costner was really playing a character and you really liked his character. And the other thing is, I don't know if you know this story, but, you know, I mean, we all know that Kevin Costner was in The Big Chill and his part was cut. So Lawrence Kasdan felt so bad about it that he basically got this movie greenlit just so he could put Kevin Costner in this film. That's nice. I'd heard that. And it's got a great soundtrack, too. Oh, yeah. Some Huey Lewis. Ow! Son of a bitch. (laughs) What? Sorry. cat. You just get attacked by Pat Benatar? Cat Benatar. Benatar. (laughs) My carnivorous cat. We need to talk about more female artists, so Cat Benatar is happier. <laughs> I have this cat. I mean, people who don't know, I have a cat now named Cat Benatar, and and she replaces the uh, deceased Nick Rhodes, aka Nick the Cat, who died a couple years ago. But Cat Benatar loves to kind of sneak up on you and bite you if you're not paying attention. 
and it, it, she like did most it a couple, women. Yeah, and she did it a couple podcasts ago, but I think we edited it out. Uh, that was the version that didn't make the cut. Sorry, but yeah, these things happen. Ouch. Uh, as always, if you have email for us, um, the best way to get it to us is either sit80s at gmail.com or steve in the 80s at gmail.com or brad in the 80s at gmail.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Hey, I'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s if you can get it right. Um, what are we giving away these days, Brad? Nothing? Uh, we're giving away uh, firm handshakes. <laughs> <laughs> But you have to travel all the way to California to get it. Hey, yeah. if you're here, I'll Ow, shake your hand. Bitch, that's twice now. <laughs> uh, pay, pay attention. Here's last show's mystery clip. Tomorrow. Let's do it tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Ah, uh, yeah. Rocky Three. How can we forget? A classic moment. I got to admit, I was feeling kind of um, uninspired before today's show. I was feeling like, kind of tired, much ne- needing a nap. And uh, Brad just said, cue up the uh, training montage from Rocky Three, and you'll feel fine. And I did. Good advice. Okay. Brad, read the winners. Okay, winners this week include Chris from South Lyon, Steve Cuneo, Kevin Wench, Crash in Long Beach, Scott in New Hampshire, Russ Carson, winner emeritus Stuart O'Neill from Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Ken, Ken Ward, Is That Really You from Tampa, Florida. So when I was in high school, our <laughs> assistant band director's name was Ken Ward. And every time we would be out with you know the band or doing something, women would come up to him like, Ken? Ken Ward? Is that really you? And it would be some ex-girlfriend. And we could never figure this out because he's just kind of a schlumpy guy. And I don't know. But uh, it got to be a, a joke with us. We, every time we would see him in the halls at school, we'd say this to him until he finally kind of called us into his office and like, you need to stop doing that. <laughs> Ken Ward in Tampa, Florida, not the same Ken Ward, but Presumably. the name made me laugh. Presumably. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Ruprecht, it is I, your brother. No sudden moves. If you know it, email us again at sit80s at gmail.com or steveneadies at gmail.com or bradneadies at gmail.com. Ah, the very awkward seggy that we like to call stuck in stuck in the 80s. Uh, Here's our chance to honor our past by replaying an entire story from a podcast that's probably at least five years old, probably six years old. Yeah, this is an old one. So this week's suggestion is from Carol Jansen, and she wants to hear the Risky Business Story from episode 32. Are you ready? Cue it up. Yeah, yeah. I have a great Risky Business Story. You want to listen to it after we queue up? I want to hear it right now. You want to hear the story right now? Hey, can we play a little Tangerine Dream underneath? Oh, yeah, actually, that'd be perfect. We'll do that. Here we go. So, of course, um, Risky Business takes place when Joel's parents go out of town for a week or whatever. Well, back in the day, was it high school? No, it's probably college. First couple years of college, my parents used to to, uh, take off for the weekend sometimes. And uh, there's this one time they did it. I threw a 48-hour-long party. 48 hours? 48 hours at my place. And uh, the uh, it started right off with we, we had um, a lot of liquor that we got. Because I think uh, we, we Just probably... skip to the hookers. <laughs> skip to the hookers. Here's the, here's the thing. We're doing rum and coke slammers yeah. all night long. My friend uh, gets obliterated. And the next thing I know, he's throwing up on all the furniture and on the oh, shelving units. God. I mean, it's like when I throw up, and when I, I'm sure when you throw up, I managed to make it to the bathroom. This guy just looks like like someone stuck a. Are you uh, a loud barfer or a quiet barfer? Oh, I'm loud. I'm you here. You would. It would I'm going to do an impression of echo. me vomiting right now. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it's like very a, it sounds like I'm burping out a bowling ball. <laughs> When I do it. I, 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 break, I looks like I have a great tan after I barf, too, because I break. I'm all so ferocious. All the blood vessels. Yeah. All of a sudden, I look like George Hamilton. I'm always worried about the splash. If you throw up too hard, you get the splash At that back. point, I don't care about the splash. But, so this guy, we're in my parents' house, throws up on the couch, on the floor, on the on the you know, the knick-knack shelves. I mean, he's got vomit in places you couldn't a normal human being can't reach. 
And I'm obliterated too, so not knowing any better of how to clean this mess up, I decided to use the vacuum cleaner. Oh, so I'm no. va- I'm putting the vacuum cleaner on the on the couch. It's not a wet vac either. No, is it? and I'm, I'm vacuuming everything. And of course, now you got the smell of the, all the dust and the hair and the vomit all oh, kind of swafting through is... the room. And of course, and, and it's not doing any good whatsoever. So, meanwhile, I stick him in the bathroom, and. Uh, it's the only bathroom available for people to use. And so all these girls are like, we have to go to the bathroom, but there's a guy passed out by the toilet. And we're like, well, just – so we go in there and we cover him up with all these towels <laughs> so that we can uh, – so that the girls can use the bathroom. And, of course, midway through one of their little trips to the bathroom, he comes too and suddenly stands up. <laughs> it's covered in towels? It's covered in towels. Like a swamp monster? I, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm vacuuming the vomit up, and all of a sudden I hear this scream at the top of my lungs. I'm like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and I open up the bathroom door, and there's a girl with no pants on, screaming, and my friend covered with towels, bumping into every wall because he doesn't know what the hell is going on. That's very funny. So anyway. That's your best story, I that's, think. It's, that's not really that great. But what the, the, the sad ending, of course, is that my parents, you know, they come home and you know, I've I've done everything to clean up the mess and everything, and they they find one little thing that I didn't uh, take care of, and I got busted for the whole thing. So. Was it the crack in the crystal egg? <laughs> no, it was somebody. I guess, I guess a couple had used their shower for some illicit purposes and left Re- some of the evidence behind. Oh come on, <laughs> really? What was the evidence? Like a, like a rubber? Or like, yeah, oh yeah, no, no, yeah. really? Who can yeah. see that? I guess if it's sitting right there on the in the soap dish, I guess it's kind of obvious. But so anyway, that's my risky business story. There you go, the great vomit story of 1986. That's what I was thinking when I heard it. I was wow, what a great thing to include in a podcast! How a guy vomited everywhere, and you cleaned it up with a vacuum. The vacuum cleaner. <laughs> here's here's the uh, here's the epilogue of the story that, that now can be told. Um, when it happened, it was Sean. No, oh, sorry. No. The guy, the guy who did all the throwing up was the same guy who taught me to sing Good Feeling, by the way. Oh. But, but here's the more important thing. My sister was at that party. My younger sister, four years younger than me. And I swore her to silence about you can't tell mom that we use the vacuum cleaner to, vo- to you know vacuum up vomit. And so we kept that secret for years and years. And the rule was when we when mom got a new vacuum cleaner, we could finally tell her the truth. Well, mom kept a hold of that vacuum cleaner wow. for at least another fifteen years, at least. Oh my god! And um, it was within the last two or three years that we finally, since the Risky Business podcast, it's been since then. At, even at the time of the Risky Business podcast, she had the same vacuum cleaner. But but you got busted for the party, just not. Well, for yeah, the vac- not for the vacuum. Not for the cleaner. vacuum. Cleaner. I changed the bag. I mean, like the bag wasn't so well, full of that's, puke. It's the least you could do. Yeah, but um, when we find out she had a new vacuum cleaner, then we finally decided we could tell her about the vacuum units. And you know, she laughed. She took it. You know, she wasn't. She couldn't ground us at that point. You know, so, what are you gonna yeah. do? So, but I mean, she thought it was somewhat funny, and um, so you know, we've all come clean now on the great vacuuming disaster of 1986. So. So, do you ever throw a party at your parents' house in that age range and not get caught? I mean, uh, I mean, I remember, I remember at my house, you know, all it really took was one beer cap in the couch. Well, yeah, that wasn't my house. It, the thing was, I was allowed to have some some people over. And that's, you know, quote unquote, some people over. So you had some air cover there. Yes. I'm, okay. So we had some people over. So. Some people can make quite a mess, but I mean, there was, there was <laughs> no hook all over the tchotchkes. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. I think she still has some of the same shelving units from that. <laughs> oh jeez. But um. They, so anyway. See, I grew up different in a different household. My parents actually believed that we were going to go out drinking anyway. So if they were there to kind of supervise, then it would be okay. No one got drunk driving. Yeah. And so my parents would actually throw the parties. Huh. And like one homecoming party, I came home and the party was at my house. And my dad was like, I walk in and my dad's boogie boarding down the staircase. <laughs> and my, my grandparents were there because my sister was a homecoming. She was she actually won homecoming queen. And so my everyone was celebrating. And I walk in like my grandmother is doing tequila shooters with the football team. I mean, it was a 
Oh my Very God. progressive family. Whoa. So yeah. So the parties, I, I never had to hide that from my parents. Yeah. We, they were the ones that were heavily involved in the parties. And here's the ironic part. I don't think anybody knows this yet. You're allergic to alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I found that out uh, a little bit later on. I, I, as I got older, it got worse and worse and I would have like half a beer and I'd be sick for days. Yeah. So I eventually just stopped drinking. Wow. Yep. So you had the coolest parents. Yeah. About <laughs> ironic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Irony is a son of a bitch, life, isn't it? Life's yep. funny, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, if you have a suggestion for a future Stuck in Stuck News clip, remember to email us. But remember, for Bradley's sake, please include the episode number. Ah, <laughs> uh, the mystical refrain of name that 80s tune. Hey, we'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s. And if you can get it right, we'll happily say your name again on the show. Pay attention. Here's the mystery clip from our last show. That's Blood and Roses from the Smithereens. Well, let's see what we got here winners-wise. Uh, winners this week include Chris from South Lion, Drew in See Me. Guys Who? Is, yeah, guy's a slacker. <laughs> Marty Yu, Gabriel Daigle, Tom Johnson, Christina Kuznets, and winner emeritus Stuart O'Neill from Fort Smith, Arkansas. But who by now that's is regretting song. ever, ever. Yeah. I guess I'm whining about it. Don't, that's probably the last time. I'll <laughs> yeah, don't mess with Brad. He's vindictive. <laughs> Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us. You know the email addresses by now. And tune in next week to find out if you are a, Drew? A wiener. We'll be right back after this message. If you own ColecoVision, you already own a powerful state-of-the-art computer that gives you the arcade experience with the newest arcade games like Donkey Kong Jr., Looping, Pepper 2, Time Pilot, Mr. Do, Space Fury, Frontline, arcade controls like Turbo, the Roller Controller, and new Super Action Sports. And soon, you'll plug in computer modules that'll blow your mind. It's simple. ColecoVision, the expandable video game system, is also the expandable home computer system, the only system you'll ever need. Know what? Now Wendy's is making bacon. No bacon. Bacon? Wendy's is making bacon. Introducing Wendy's Bacon Cheeseburger. Crisp, lean strips of bacon on top of a Wendy's cheeseburger to become Wendy's new hot and juicy bacon cheeseburger. We're taking with bacon. So come try Wendy's new bacon cheeseburger. We're making bacon for Wendy's kind of people. Day after day, I will walk and I will play, but the day after today, I And we're back, and we have time for one insightful question, as it says in my notes. And this one's actually suggested by the great Bradley. Um, my question to you both, will the album culture that we celebrate from 1983 ever return, or has iTunes turned the music industry into a singles business? Well, that's a really good question. I think iTunes really has turned it into a singles business. Um, you remember there's a lot of albums that we grew up listening to and they had a lot of filler. I mean, there was a lot of police songs where they just decided to add songs because they needed to come up with 10 or 11 tracks to fill out the wait, album. Wait, 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 wait. Are, are you saying that there are filler police tracks, Drew? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Even Synchronicity has filler. Yeah. Uh, mm, I, I'm going to disagree with you on that. Oh, okay. I think we got a future podcast coming. But the, Zenyatta Mandata 
and Ghost in the Machine definitely had filler tracks that they were. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> you, you'll just just keep making your other point, and uh, my we'll, other point we'll come is, back okay. once I get my dueling pistols out. <laughs> so I, I do think iTunes has changed things that it's really just a singles kind of market. But every once in a while, something will come out that will make people want to get the whole album. And I'm talking kind of like Green Day's American Idiot. That was an album that you needed to get the whole album. Good point. I, I see. My thing is that. I don't think that album culture is going to return. I don't think anybody wants it to. I don't think that the 80s artists that are out there that we love so much, I don't think they want it to return because they don't want to have to deal with the pressure of putting out an entire new album of material. And I don't think that today's slacker artists that I hate so much want albums to return because they don't, because they're to some degree, and I hate to say it, no, I don't hate to say it, I like to say it, they're, <laughs> incap- they're incapable of putting out an entire album of decent material. So I think for now, you're going to see single culture continue for a little while longer. Yeah, and I think the other thing, if you go back and look at these albums we're talking about today, they're maybe 40 minutes long, you know? Yeah. Maybe. And then you get to CDs, and instead of having eight or nine tracks, which was a full album, suddenly you're expected to put out, you know, maybe 15 tracks on a on an sure. album. And, yeah. you know, that's... To your point, Drew, that's that much more stuff you got to come up with. And I think that's why so many bands have that sophomore slump where their first album is great because they've spent the last five years writing these songs and then they catch lightning in a bottle and have a hit and they got to turn out another album in a year. It's like, well, no, it it took us a long time to write that many good songs. Well, in a way, you could argue that uh, iTunes iTunes enables the EP culture to return. If you want to put out an album of six songs, iTunes is perfect for that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, so definitely. I mean, so I don't think it's necessarily so much that it's just this idea that I mean, you you see it all the time. I mean, um, I'm trying to think. There was a band I was looking at just the other day. I think the Vinyl Femmes actually. I was looking at their website to see what they were up to, and they had something in there about, "Hey, we got a new single out." Well, they can do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's nice now that you know you can you can be exposed to the stuff before you shell out the money. I mean, in the, back in the day, I wouldn't buy an album on one singles. You know, on on the basis of one oh, single, I needed I to hear it all the time. I needed to hear oh, another yeah. single before I, I did it all the time. Everybody. I can I can name off albums I bought on the strength of one song. Uh, Back in yeah. Black, um, um, Moving Pictures by Rush. I would have bought for just knowing one song off it. Well, there are definitely. I mean, any Devo album, any Adam Ant album, I was going to buy it, but. Um, uh, you know, if it was outside of my kind of core, I know this artist, I know I'm going to like him, then I wanted more than just one track if I'm going to drop down my 12 bucks for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, back then it wasn't even 12. I remember the first album I was truly disappointed with, um, Van Halen, Diver Down. Mm, really? I remember buying that album, being really excited because I was really into Van Halen at the time, and then being like, you've got to be kidding me. There's nothing on this album that I want to hear again. I'm trying to think of an album that I was disappointed. I mean, I bought so many albums just on the strength of one song that I, I don't know. I bought, I just would spend all my money on albums. I'd go to the warehouse every week and just buy new music. So were you, uh, either of you guys ever members of the Columbia record? House? Oh yeah. yeah. I dodged that bullet. No, I know a lot I, of people that did. I got I a lot of my music that way because that was, it was, you know, sign up and the, quit, sign up and the, quit, sign up and the quit. The selection was an awful lot better than the record store in Weatherford, Oklahoma, which didn't exist. I guarantee you there's CDs in my collection right now that are from Columbia. <laughs> I, in fact, <laughs> I, I would never have even heard of bands like They Might Be Giants. The first album I ever got from them was because I didn't send in my thing in time for Columbia Records. And so Bloody. they sent oh, me Flood. Funny. They sent me Flood, and I was like, well... That's uh-huh. a great album. So I listened to it, and I was floored, and they became one of my favorite bands for the longest time afterwards. Well, the reason I asked that is you talk about albums you were disappointed with. I remember getting Journey Escape, listening to it once, and being like, meh, and I gave it away. What? What? At the time, I did not like it. I did not like it. Wow. Oh. Yeah, that was that was all over my middle school and high school when Escape came out. It was it, Someone actually wrote like the lyrics across the lockers. I, I still remember <laughs> that. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure that was not me. But it could have been. <laughs> Yeah, you were busy painting Asia uh, album covers on your dorm room walls. I did that. I have a photo to prove it. Hey, it's been a great podcast, uh, Drew. As always, we love your contributions. We hope you come back for uh, was it will be uh, volume two of our anniversary editions of 1983, where Brad well, where Brad will defend yet another album that we'll mock him for. Hey, that's that's fine. You know what? It doesn't have to be something that you love, but I think that uh, I will stick to my guns that sports is a relevant 
uh, relevant album from the 80s. I'm pretty sure Culture Club put out something in 1983 you can defend next time. And over my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in the meantime, we remain here listening to our 1983 music, but still hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Ah, oh, the miscore refrain of. <laughs> <laughs>